Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. afternoon and welcome everybody to the water zone show i'm your host rob star along with mr chris davy and we are going to manage this show all the way to the end and chris how are you doing today all right buddy enjoying this early fall weather we're having out here in southern california we're going to have to ask uh chris maven's notebook chris if she's uh, under the same spell there in northern california but it's it's not even 80 degrees here and it's uh you know late in the afternoon when it's generally 90 or 95 it's like 78, 79 right now. Unbelievable. Well, it's not 112 today. It's 93 degrees and sunny, and it's beautiful sky. And uh, probably another 30 minutes, we'll be getting a breeze coming through. But it's uh, it's beautiful out here in the Arizona Territory. How's it up in the northern part of Central California? Miss Chris hey. Austin. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful up here, uh, 81 degrees. It's been it's a nice couple of days. It was kind of hot yesterday, and we had some smoke from the fires to the north yesterday. But today, very very nice. Uh, I I do love the fall and the spring. You know, when the temperatures are mild and the weather is very nice. So you're like my wife. She likes it when it gets like that, so she can wear one of her 300 sweaters that she has tucked away. <laughs> she she, she likes she she loves she loves that when it turns. I'm not sure. Turns, not sure. Eighty-one degrees of sweater weather, but yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, it, it's actually it actually dropped down to seventy-two last night here, so it was pretty, pretty even. With a nice well, yeah, season. but it does 72. get cold. <laughs> yeah, get... seventy-two. Ooh, wow! Better go plug it, your car in. Uh. That's, <laughs> that's that's cold for here right now at this time of year. I bet so. it is. And with 300 sweaters, well, what's she wear on the weekends then? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, don't ask. Don't ask. We don't want to know. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Davey was here and happened to walk by our master closet. He can tell I you did. about the shoes and the sweaters and everything else. So we won't go into more detail with that. Enough said I on that. I thought I Enough. was in Imelda Marcus's house. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melda used to come with my shoes for my wife, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So, Ms. Austin, what is the new stuff happening in California with water today? Well, I thought it was a real interesting uh, was a real interesting day today. There was an article in the Daily Digest today um, about uh, uh, how fishermen can prevent aquatic invasive species, uh, which I which is you know a good thing to talk about. I, take a minute to talk about because uh, a lot of the ways that invasive species enter waterways is through fishermen uh, and late breaking news uh, they found New England mud snails in Lake Tahoe uh, so it's a good it might be good to kind of talk about that for a moment well, well before you get too deep into that you know no pun intended right I'd like the uh, judge and jury to know I am not guilty <laughs> of course not, because you you're on the water zone and you know about these issues. Can you can you eat those escargot, or they're not from France because they're here? Uh, yeah, I don't think these are edible. I'm not sure you'd want to. No. 
<laughs> no, but but it's really important because uh, uh, your your boat, if it's not properly you know cleaned, can spread uh, invasive species from water body to water body. So I think the most important thing to do is to follow, as the article says, to follow the clean, drain, dry rule. You need to, what, drain your uh, live wells. I have to go up and find it. I'm not a boater. I don't know. Uh, You need to pull your drain plug and be sure the live walls are totally dry before you go into another body of water to fish. And this is really important because, you know, you don't nece- you're not necessarily going to see something clinging to your boat because sometimes they just have to cling in just larval stage, and you're probably not going to see that. Uh, but that larva, if, it, if you, know, you take it out and you don't fully dry out your boat, you go, put, go into another waterway, then you could be potentially uh, spreading invasive species. Sure. And it is that easy to do, folks. So, you know... The article does point out that these steps you have to take uh, take extra time and might be a little bit of a pain in the rear end, but it, it's necessary. Uh, 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 invasive species are an issue worldwide and not just for waterways, but plants and all sorts of things. And in our global economy, with everyone moving around like we do, it's really important to take the steps to make sure you don't introduce, you know, some aquatic invasive species to a water body. So, I've been a fisherman for a long time, Chris, and I can tell you so many fishermen are cognizant of that, but at the same time, so many aren't, right? And depending on what kind of yeah. boat you've got, you can have you can have not just a live well, which is which is where you keep the fish that you catch, you keep them live after you've caught them so they stay fresh. And you can also have a bait well, which is another tank in your boat that uh, where you keep your bait that you use to catch the fish you're going to keep in your live well. So both of them should use that rule. Yes, and you need to be conscious of what you use for bait because there is another, that's another way things can get uh, introduced. Yeah, and you know, these reasons, these, I mean, these rules are out there for a reason. And the thing about these invasive species is once they're in a water body or established on a landscape, they're very, very difficult, almost impossible to eradicate. Uh, they, you know, the reason why they're invasive is because they can reproduce rapidly and they're very good at it and there's no natural predator or natural element in the, in the environment that they've been been introduced in that's going to limit them so you really have to be very careful um you know these things there i i know it it could be a pain in the rear but but it's really important i mean it really only takes one boat one dirty boat with a with a you know quagga muscle or zebra muscle in it to pollute and you know to cause a problem in an entire water body so, you know, we do need to follow these uh, these guidelines. So, and, and so a lot Chris, of states, okay. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, Rob, I was just saying, a lot of states, if you go to a, if you go to a um, state park or um, a national park with a body of water, <coughs> which 
most of them charge a fee for you to launch. Part of that fee pays for a vessel inspection. Um, and so uh, you can't put your boat on the water unless you go through that vessel inspection. Now, Chris, I think you're aware of that as well. Yeah, yes. And it's important not to try to circumvent these things. I mean, it can be pretty, it's probably pretty easy to do because we're not looking at, it's not a situation where, you know, everybody is policing every possible, uh, you know, way to put your boat in the water. There may be ways to avoid that, but, you know, you should not avoid it. it it's there for a reason. So you can still use Velveeta cheese's bait? The cat's huh? catfish? Yeah. Does it catch catfish? Yeah, Velveeta catfish. cheese? Oh. Yes. <laughs> Yep. Okay, so, well, that's interesting. There you go. It's a fishing and, and tip also, right here on the water zone. Well, is, is, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Christine, isn't there, there regulations on some lakes and, and streams and rivers that you can't take a boat in with an outboard motor that uh, goes with oil stuff? That's right. Yeah, so uh, two-stroke motors, you can't, um, there's, uh, I think, pretty much all of California, for instance, you, can't, you, you cannot uh, operate a two-stroke motor. It has to be a four-stroke. And then it has to have a it has to have an exhaust uh, adapter, recycle adapter, um, as well. But back on the back on the Valvita thing, I mean, you know, uh, for years I used Valvita cheese. I mean, it's great, right? You use it for bait, and then you slice up a couple of pieces, put it on your ham sandwich. I mean, what else? <laughs> <do you want? laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> with the with the same knife. <laughs> There so, you go. So, you have it. And when you, and when you go deep sea fishing, you you take a sardine sandwich with the Velveeta cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Man. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've caught uh, shrimp, right, for, uh, for fishing in salt water. And if I get one that's big enough, I just eat it right there as sushi, man. A little hot sauce on it. It's down the hatch. Yeah, those are good. That's, that's, that's a good yeah. thing. They are. So, yeah. So when, uh, same, same same thing with clams and things I, I've tried on the thing and, and uh, other things. Uh, so Chris, what what else is uh, trickling down from the state this week? Well, we have a big uh, uh, a series. A newspaper is doing a series on dry cleaners and how uh, they there's a chemical that's polluted our soil and our groundwater. Uh, it's called PCE, and it's it's one of those another one of those uh, contaminants that's kind of persistent in the in the water and in the in the ground. So uh, you know, a, a one more contaminant that we need to be concerned about. I guess it was found uh, in significant amounts in in South Lake Tahoe water. Uh, you know, you have the lake out there, but but the Communities aren't necessarily drinking from the lake. They're generally pumping groundwater if it's available. So, uh, I, I thought I thought a couple of years, ago, well, many years ago, maybe ten, fifteen years ago, I used to see at the dry cleaners. Uh, we are we are now green, and they they changed whatever chemical it was that was causing the same. So, so is this a reoccurrence of that, or is this is something um, new? No, that it it's legacy. So you know they. While people switch, while dry cleaners switch to better chemicals that didn't pollute the environment, it doesn't make those that have already been there go away, unfortunately. 
So, and the problem persists because, you know, it, it's hard to clean up groundwater. And when, you know, you can put a contaminant in the groundwater and it can migrate far and wide from where it went in. So, you know, the best, uh, the best solution for groundwater contamination is to not let it happen in the first place. Right. It, it's a bit, uh, it, it's, it's a challenging thing. Uh, and it's not just in South Lake Tahoe. It's, uh, you know, all across and all across the state of California. And I, and I would assume across, uh, the, the, you know, whole entire U.S. because everybody uses dry cleaners. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought that was all taken care of from years and years and years. So, wow. That's, that's, uh, never knew well, there was going to come back like that. So, well, you know, it, it's not, it's not that it came back is that it never went away. Uh, you know, if we don't get out there and aggressively clean up this contaminant, they, they don't just go away on their own. I mean, we're dealing with a lot of things here in the state of California. We're still dealing with issues from the gold rush. We still yeah. have mercury. Oh, yeah. uh, we still have abandoned mines all over the Sierras that have not been closed properly. We have a lot of mercury that's still being leached from these abandoned mine sites into our rivers and streams. And it's one of the reasons why we have a lot of uh, restrict, not restrictions, health advisories for fish that you catch in the state of California. Now, it's true that mercury contamination in waterways is actually a worldwide problem. And a lot of uh, places, uh, not just California, have health advisories for eating fresh fish. But here in California... Although, you know, and, and that mercury comes from power plants emitting, uh, it, you know, what they emit in their smokestacks, it gets into the air, it circulates around the world, and things like this fall out, fall out to the ground, and, some, and something falls on the ground, and it rains, it goes into the waterways. That's how it, it, it's a worldwide problem. And in California, it's even more pronounced because we have all this gold rush contamination. Uh, we have mines leaching now, but also in the 18, late 1800s, when the gold rush first got started here in, in California, uh, you know, people came from New York and they didn't, you know, they arrived out here in California and they didn't say, Oh my, what a beautiful landscape. I think I will sit here and enjoy the view. No, they, they came to get the gold and their intention was to get the gold and go back to New York. So, you know, they didn't really care what they did to the environment here. And they did a lot of hydraulic mining. So they took big, you know, diverted water from the streams and creeks. There's a lot of water running around California. And they used big, like, fire hose, and they shot it at the mountains to get the, the soil to come down. And then they run it through these flurries with mercury to amalgamate the gold. And all this sediment went into the streams, and it flushed down into the valley. And Sacramento was just becoming a state, uh, you know, the state capital, capital at the time. 
And when all the sediment was being washed down into the creeks and the rivers, and and it uh, built up the riverbed, so flooding became a major issue. And uh, so flooding of downstream communities, it actually uh, went to court, and the court in the late 1800s said no more hydraulic mining. You can't you know, shoot water at the mountain like that. But the damage had been done. Uh, the sediment was now in the rivers. It went into the delta. Uh, Mercury-contaminated sediment in the delta is a big issue. And as we work to restore wetlands, uh, you know, we have to take a look at what's happening with the mercury, uh, you know. And so there's just a lot of mercury in the system here in California that makes uh, even more a problem, mercury contamination, than in the rest of the world. Well, well you're right. You're right about that. You know, I, I saw an article not too long ago about a fish called tilapia. I'm sure you're all both familiar with mm-hmm. that. And it was relatively an inexpensive product to buy. And, and then I was reading how the stuff comes, a lot of it, it comes from uh, Asia like Vietnam and places like that, Thailand and so, And they, they have articles about how you should not eat that because they contain a high amount of, of that and arsenic and some other things to that. And yet tilapia, which, which again, when I go to the stores, I see the pricing. It's pretty, re- I mean, extremely reasonable, you know, compared to uh, uh, Chilean sea bass at 40 bucks a pound. But, 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 but when it goes to the fancy restaurants, the upper-class restaurants, they're charging almost as much for that as they are for lobster, for tilapia. And yet they say there's a lot of that that comes in contaminated. So I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play and how well our U.S. Uh, uh, DA uh, maintains watch over those things. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, and there was some story about tilapia and somebody, people were getting really sick. I don't really remember. Um yeah, that was recent too. I heard yeah, that the- some, uh, something I'm thinking recently, but it wasn't a California water issue, so I just no. sort of bypassed it. But, but yeah, you know, it it you never think that these things that happened so long ago still affect us to this day, um, but it does. And the reason why we still have so much mercury uh, leaching into our waterways is it's really political will. We know how to clean up these mine sites. We've already figured that out, but it's not it's not cheap to do, and it takes money. It takes funding, and there's a lot of competition for funding in the state budget and the federal budget, and yep. cleaning up these sites has just never been a priority, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah, we, you like to think that, you know, something that happened 150, 200 years ago doesn't affect you, but that's not the case. No, you're right. I mean, we've got so many. I won't get into all the political things that are happening that we're spending money on, but, but you're absolutely right. And as I've always said, I'd like to see somebody prioritize what the main things that we need to do to fix this country and, and, and make it healthier and move forward. But, you know, that's not what this show's about, but. But in water, it should be, and and uh, you know I want I want to see that get better. So just like I went to a uh, San Bernardino County Water Symposium a couple of weeks back, and they talked about that that uh, there's no drought in California. They got 
plenty of water. And uh, they were talking about some someplace out in the San Bernardino area. Uh, Cadiz, uh, as a matter of fact, their water agency uh, uh, made the speech about that. So there's a lot of things going on. What, what what other what other critical things have you heard this week about any new regulations that are coming with? Hey, well, Rob, let me chime in on there, right? Because I mean, I just read the I just read an article. And by the way, Chris, I was, I was going to ask you about the about the recent report that the uh, DW the California DWR just released the uh, water plan for 2023. So hopefully, get a couple minutes to talk about that, but. Also, on another article um, I read, it was a very interesting subline because it said, you know, California doesn't have a water shortage problem. It has a water storage shortage problem. Yep. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard it put that way before. Well, yeah. That, my, well, my favorite thing is, you know, California doesn't have a, have a water shortage. It has a shortage of cheap water, which kind of goes hand in hand with the sure. water yeah. storage issue. Um, because, you know, these things are not cheap. Yeah, we're, we're still going to have the arguments about water storage and where to put it. I mean, it, it's such a uh, tangled, <laughs> it, it's a tangled web of things. I mean, yes, we, we do, you know, it would be great to have more water storage, but uh, if we're talking surface water storage, we really need uh, realistic and uh you know, places to put the water. We stopped building dams in California back in, say, by the 1950s or so, but that wasn't because we didn't like dams anymore, but because we had sort of used up all the suitable topography for dams in the state. So it's, you know, there's not a lot of places to put water to, to build a reservoir in the state. And it's not just about having a place to build a reservoir. It's about having water to fill that reservoir. I mean, just because you build a dam, that water is going to show uh, sufficient hydro. So, you know, we will continue to have that water storage debate here in California, I am am sure. Uh, uh, But, you know, it's... And the other problem that we're having in the water stories discussion is that, you know, where we're getting our water and when we're getting our water is changing and it's not coming in the same places like it used to historically, meaning we're not getting, you know, this past year accepted, we're not getting big snowpacks anymore. And we have a reservoir system set up to capture big snowpacks. Well, we're getting our warmer storms that drop their water on the valley floor below all those dams. So it makes, uh, you know, projects like raising Shasta Dam uh, not, you know, there's a real question as whether that's really, you know, going to result in in much much more water that's worth the cost of that project. Uh, And then you take a reservoir like Sites Reservoir, which is being proposed, and Sites Reservoir is is uh, closer to the valley floor. Um, uh, to build Sites Reservoir, it's not one dam. I think it might be at least three, if not four, what they call saddle dams. So they're going to have to sort of build up the mountains surrounding this valley 
with dams to make it hold the water. Uh, I mean, the thing about the Slice Reservoir project is that it's not built on a stream. It's not built on a river. So they're going to be pumping water from the river when they can up to the reservoir. That's where the water is going to come for that reservoir. And this is a project that's kind of looking at the hydrology that is uh, starting to uh, come to fruition here in California, meaning less snowpack, more of these storms that drop water on the valley floor, and that water dumps into the rivers, and that is the water that Sites Reservoir is looking to capture. And that is the water that climate change and our scientists are telling that telling us that's where the water is going to be um if the water doesn't uh fall up above the dam if it doesn't snow or doesn't you know the the precipitation doesn't go high enough then it doesn't help to have a bigger shasta reservoir or bigger reservoirs in the mountains you know i think we're sort of uh moving towards the valley is where we need to be doing these things yeah, talking about NOPAC real quick, uh, Chris, and I know, Rob, you're going to lead us out for the commercial break, but um, you remember back in April we were talking about snowpack and the measurement they do every year that gets all the press and all that stuff. If uh-huh. you remember, we tagged onto that conversation about new technology for for using satellites to uh, uh, to measure that, right? And congratulations, because there was an article on Maven's notebook um, about that NASA technology. Just, I, know, I know you didn't write it, but you posted it, so good job. Yes. I know. We're we're getting smarter. Definitely. Well that's, that's, well, that's why I tell everybody to go to mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber, get it every single day on your laptop, your your, your PC, any, any place. It's a great way to get all the up-to-date news on, on water, what's happening around. And you can also become a sponsor. And again, you go to www.mavensnotebook.com, and you won't be sorry you did. Uh, it gets you more information about water, what's happening, than anywhere you're going to read. So, Chris, you do a, an enormous and wonderful job, and uh, I give you lots of kudos because I know you're, you you spend tons of hours on that, and uh, and you're very passionate about it. And every time we go out and hear you speak, the audience loves you, and uh, and we do too. So, thanks for being part of our our, our show all the time, and. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I want to wish you a nice week and having you come back again as you do every single Thursday. So we appreciate that. All right. Well, you guys all have a good week. Have we a great will. week, Chris. Thank you again, Chris, for being around. All right, we're going to take a few minutes break here for a commercial, and then we'll be back with our featured guest of the week. So stick around. It's going to be a good conversation, and we'll be right back. KCAA Loma Linda. The legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. 
AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulations. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. 106.5 FM and KCAA 1050 AM. second half of the Water Zone Radio Show. I'm your host, Chris Davies, along with the all-knowing and ever-present Rob Starr on the uh, other microphone there. This afternoon, we got a great guest for you, very interesting one, but uh, just a quick note for our colleagues at the Irrigation Association before we introduce our next guest to um, remind you guys to save the date for the 2023 Irrigation Show and Educational Conference. It's November 27th. Through December 1st this year in San Antonio. It's just a great opportunity for everyone in the water industry to learn from a bunch of experts on uh, critical focus areas that help uh, all of us help your business. Be sure to register at irrigationshow.org, irrigationshow.org. Before October 17th, you can get an early bird rate. After that, it's a little bit more expensive. All right. Well, we got a very interesting guest, as I was saying. He's got a very, very unique view about conservation. Let's um, let's call it a holistic approach. How about that? So this guy started in the business, really on the business end of a lawnmower, if you will, back when he got started. But he went on to earn several certificates, um, you know, certified uh, landscape irrigation auditor just for one. He's worked in distribution. He's worked on a golf course. And he now runs a successful businesses uh, that focuses on that holistic approach. So let's welcome to the Water Zone, Mr. Rich Miller. Are you there, buddy? Hey, Chris. I'm here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Glad to have you on the show. So listen, we're going to 
We're going to let you talk about a bunch of stuff here tonight. But before uh, we get started, uh, Rob and I just have this have this uh, endearing question that we ask everybody, and that's how did you get in this um, business in the first place? Was it serendipity? Was it uh, an absolute choice of yours? Is it was it that the stars led you this way, or what? How did you get started? <laughs> Well, you know, it, it goes back to when uh, my parents used to take us and the family down to Disneyland as a, as a small child, and uh, I was so impressed with, you know, the topiary and the, and the mass plantings of flowers and, uh, and how things were so nice and tight. I've been, I, I've just kind of been in my, I'd say my DNA ever since I was a small child, and uh, it's been something I've always wanted to do. It didn't happen until later in my adult years where... Uh, driving around as a salesman, I see all these landscapers out having fun out, out in the, uh, you know, out in, in the uh, fresh air. And uh, so I just stuck my neck out and, and bought a lawnmower and a weed whacker and, and started my business. So you're based now in where, Florida, I understand. Yeah, I'm currently in uh, the Tampa Bay area, uh, specifically uh, Clearwater. And uh, been here for five years. How do you like it? Well, you know, it's an adjustment. So uh, <laughs> every everything's yeah. different. Uh, so in in Portland, Oregon, it was it was humid between uh, October and and uh, we say the Fourth of July, and then uh, here it's humid. Uh, you know, between uh, May and and uh, up until about November, and then it really becomes nice. We call it the the days of Disneyland. Yeah. Well, I understand that, uh, you know, one of your things that you like to do is, or you believe is to put more, I'll use the word teeth into contractor certification. And yeah. do you, do you believe, cause one of my, my pet peeves are, I'd like to see irrigators, I'll use that word, uh, be licensed by the state because I find a lot of people who are, uh, and I don't like using the term, but the industry calls them the mow and blow people. And, right. um, you know, to to me, you know, water is important. Uh, you know, we have to we have to use it wisely and such. And and and, and people who do that kind of work uh, and, and not go get more further education don't understand really the value of water and how to use it wisely. Can you give us your back your your, your feel about certifications for for contractors and also state licensing for those? Sure, sure. Well, first the certification. It, it was way back in my business in Portland that my business didn't start to really grow until I got my certification. And uh, there were some folks instrumental, instrumental in, in, in uh, you know, my success in getting certifications and becoming more professional. And what happened is I would show up at a, at a, uh, at a customer site and, and uh, do a, a, a site analysis. And, you know, I was able to talk about some things that, that, they've not heard of before by other contractors. So all of a sudden I show up and I'm the expert. And, uh, you know, they told me, Hey, if you, if you get some certifications and you look like you're and know the, you're, what you're talking about, not just look like it, uh, you can charge more. And so being a businessman, I go, I, you know, my, my ears perk up. I said, well, gee, I can charge more if I, if I know more. And sure enough, it's, it worked just like, just, just like clockwork. Uh, you know, I show up and, you know, contracting before them, uh, said, yeah, I can do this in X, Y zones and, and I can, I'll put a rotor in each corner and I show up and, 
and we talk about hydrozoning, and we talk about you know a different zone for shade, and a different zone for something that's got a slope on it, and a different zone for you know a compacted soil area, and so forth. And they and they go, and their their head starts to spin, and they they say, well, gee, I think this guy might know what he's talking about. Yeah, what a concept. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah I win those deals every time. Now um, as far as licensing. Uh, licensing is, is very important. I mean, there's, there's all the guys, the mow and blow guys that go around with their, you know, their, uh, uh, mower on top of their, their clippings in the back of the truck. And then they, you know, they, they, uh, uh you know, fixed uh, a broken head here and a broken head there. And Mrs. Smith will ask him, well, Hey, can you do some more of this and that? And, you know, they'll, they'll throw some glue, some things together and, and, uh, you know, by chance, maybe some, maybe some of it works, maybe some of it doesn't. Uh, but I think the licensing really should be driven more in, in the realm of, of uh, consumer education. So the consumer needs to, needs to be a little bit more wise of, of uh, you know, hiring a, a licensed contractor, even if they work outside. And uh, it's been my pet peeve that our industry, the green industry, doesn't get the same regard as, say, an electrician or a plumber that's working inside the house. Right. Well, I'll tell you, Rob and I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we've had this discussion over and over. Um, I don't know how many times, Rich, but, um, you know, being being able to uh, provide value above and beyond, um, you know, just digging a hole and putting a sprinkler system in, as you were, you were just describing, is, it's, I, w- I wouldn't say it's rare, but uh, it's something that our industry has suffered from, and the reputation has, um, you know, suffered from it as well. So yeah. Hey, so going back right. to your comments about, yeah, your comments about the, the or my comment about the holistic approach to water conservation. Sure. And I know this, this started as you were describing from your background back in in um, Oregon. Um, yeah. But you know, kind of dig a little deeper for us, and can you know what 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 do you mean by this uh, holistic approach? Sure. Well, I call it the smart water triangle. And so I I like to break things down into threes. It's easier for me to keep track. And so really the smart water triangle is this, is we're going to have a a smart controller. And by, you know, by now, most people should have a a grasp on what a smart controller is. Uh, We're going to have best practices in the ground, which means that we're going to hydrozone. So, you know, instead of... uh, uh, you know, a zone trying to catch uh, grass and, and shrubs, we're going to split those areas up. Instead of a zone that's, that's you know, say half the area might be sun and half the area might be shade, we're going to split that up into, into another zone as well. Uh, plus, just simple professional best practices. You know, I, in my truck, I, I carry all of, all of the suppliers' uh, uh, catalogs because I don't, I don't keep all those numbers in my brain. You know, I'm too busy. So if I have a zone that, that I think is on the edge, I get my manual out and I and I do all I do the, the hydraulic takeoff with actual yeah. calculator and, and pen and pencil. So that's that's the that's the second leg of the triangle. And here's here's the biggest leg. So the biggest leg of the triangle is this is that as as contractors we're we're concerned about doing all these things right, but we're we're really forgetting it's kinda like having bringing the icing without having the cake. So I could have the best smart controller and, and soil moisture sensors and all different kinds of, of control points on the system. 
but if I don't really know what I'm watering into uh, and what what the soil structure is, well, I'm really missing the boat. And that's that's really where I started uh, to promote you know this smart water triangle and adding uh, a porous inorganic porous amendment into the soil with my customers. Right. But yep, you know, I right. see. I see. I see a lot of uh, lawn maintenance people. You know, there's there's so many different brands of equipment, and 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 between the even the big three or the big five or whatever number you want to go back into how many are making the same components or similar components. They're not. They're similar, but they're not exact. And and yeah. trying to carry every kind of nozzle to replace on on the field is is is, is pretty difficult to do and very expensive for the for the person doing that. But I see a lot of them carry the, the vans, which are very, which you know, but for our audience, very variable arc nozzles, and they replace them. And and you know, and I know, but sometimes the customer don't know, or the gentleman who's putting those, replacing regular fixed <laughs> nozzles, those, that uh, there's a big difference in, in how much water it puts out, and it's not really saving them any, any water. And, and when you take a look at even the big contractors who do HOAs, you know, their main thing is, Make it look nice. Make the place look beautiful and green and colorful, and that's important because curb appeal is going to save the save the neighborhood, and they can get more money for their homes. And right. but but there's as as you hinted to, and, and I know you know this. You know, there's a smart way of doing it that you can actually make it look beautiful and stay beautiful, but you can also improve the efficiency of the water use, and that's important. And and having the knowledge, like you said, when you go to somebody and you're smarter in the sense that you can give them education about stuff. I think that's very, very important. I think that helps sell a job more than anything else. They, 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 they seem to have a lot of trust once they hear the story and they understand what you're talking about to them. Uh, that's important. Most mow and blow guys, they come every week and blow, you know, mow and blow and, that, and they leave and that's it. They don't really right. care about anything else. And, and you, you get what you pay for. So. That's, that's exactly right, yes. So I agree with that. Um, why do you? How do you see water uh, regulations coming down in your territory right now? And, and is that something? I know the water agencies promote water conservation and things like that. But where do you see water is going to be in five to twenty-five years? Well, um, part part of our um, municipality here is down to one day a week uh, with their reclaimed. And sometimes we go there and try to do repairs, and there's, there's, no, there's no water in the pipe so we could do our repairs. And uh, other areas uh, of the municipality, of the area here, uh, they get three days with their, with their reclaimed. Going forward, it's, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I, I know that some states are going to a non- a non-irrigated policy, like uh, uh, Wyoming, is has gone to a, a lot of areas into a, a, a non-irrigated uh, policy. Um, I know Nevada's, you know, perhaps moving that direction, and California as well. And whatever happens in California usually makes its way back here to Florida, you know, sometime later. Yeah. Um, you know, our problem here is sand, so we have we have no soil structure and, and texture. Uh, that's that's where the internal internally porous amendment comes into line, where 
it, it has uh, internal pore space to hold on to that water and then re-release it. Right. Yeah, that's that's an important factor. I know if you heard a little bit of our, our show earlier, uh, you know, we were talking about California really doesn't have a drop. There's tons of water. It's just trying try to get to it and have government approve the, the, uh, the removal of it. But uh, it's getting tougher and tougher. I, I, I just personally believe that we're going through a cycle that probably happened hundreds of thousands of years ago and millions of years ago. And I don't know how long this one that we're in now is going to last. Don't know. I know they're talking about a lot of atmospheric rivers coming for this winter. Uh, there's going to be right. lots of rain. And, uh, but I just think there's cycles of that. So it's kind of hard to plan for the future, but you got to have, you got to, you got to prepare for something. Sure. Sure. And, uh, so, you know, with me and with me and my customers, um, you know, we really, we, it's, it's an education process and, and, uh, uh, for all of us, you know, I'm still I'm still learning, uh, uh, you know, how to apply all the things that I that I try to pick up here and there, and 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 classes that I take and so forth. Um, but uh, no, it's important to just keep moving forward and and use the use the technology that's in front of you. Yeah, and Rich, I want to ask you about about your Florida Water Star designation, but just just before I do that, I want to kind of hark back to. To um, you know, all you've described about <clears throat> the, the uh, conservation and your and your approach to uh, irrigation. And let me ask you, because has it has it led to your? Um, let me see if I can describe this to your uh, client base being um, you know people with more of an affinity for the environment, if you will, versus you know sure. just a uh, client that doesn't really care, just wants green grass. Is that is that a fair <laughs> statement? Absolutely, and and so I, I've got a really good web guy that that uh, kind of bakes some stuff into my website that uh, you know there's with keywords and, and so forth that uh, you know people will you will kind of rise to the to the top, and then those those folks who already have that affinity are the ones who are reaching out. I also network with with um, architects and designers who have that affinity for the environment. It's a, you know the same as I do, and. And so when I go meet those customers, I'm already warmed up. Yeah. Do you yeah, find? Do you I find? Your, is your base who who really go into this are more affluent than than the generic public that that really want to get behind us and understand the 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 consequences of of, of wasting water and and also saving saving the water and, and, and reducing their costs every month? Is that or is it equal across the base? I, I think, you know, I think it's a cultural um, aspect. Uh, here in Florida, we have a lot of people from a lot of different places and, and, and different, I guess, um, styles of landscaping. Uh, and so a lot of people will move down here and they want to see, you know, the uh, uh, St. Augustine grass wall to wall and, yeah. and a few palm trees. You know, and I try to yeah. say, well, let's 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 reexamine our design and and add some add some open open space in the soil and and some uh, ground covers and native plants and and uh, uh, you know something that's a little bit more friendly to the environment versus wall to wall grass and and out of out of uh, uh, you know out of uh, uh, non native palm trees. 
But um, yeah. I, I, I guess to that point, I think it's, it, you know, water conservation and, and uh, environmental concern doesn't really know any, any um, um, demographic. Uh, there's people from all walks of life, uh, all um, uh, demographic, uh, enjoy uh, the knowledge that, that they're that they're being a good steward of the environment, uh, and it's it's really a cultural thing versus a, a demographic, um, you know, rich versus poor, middle class, or, or right. what have you. Yeah, I well, couldn't agree more. And I'll tell you, before we go any further, Rob, listen, I got. Uh, I got uh, somebody who wants to say hi to you, Rich. How about that? It's a colleague of ours happens to be uh, dialed in on our uh, on our chat line, and uh, Matt, Mr. Matt Taylor's on the line. Say hi, Matt. Hey, good evening, Rich. Good evening, guys. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Going great. Glad to hear good. you tonight. Yeah, you too. Is there any any secrets about Rich Matt that you want to reveal to the uh, multiple thousands of millions of listeners that we got? Probably not. Or Rich, or Rich, if you have some stories about Matt, you can tell us right now. <laughs> <laughs> Easy, Rich. <laughs> Rich and I agreed ahead of time. We were only going to say the good stuff tonight. So um, <laughs> I think what I what I admire about Rich as a business owner is you know the the Selling conservation is not what everybody in the irrigation business in in the Florida market will do. You know, it's it's a it's a more, a more challenging sale. It's a sale that can garner better revenue, perhaps, but it's 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 not easy because you have a public that, quite frankly, if it doesn't cost them more, they there there has to be a different incentive. And Rich takes that fight to the streets every day, and he looks to be multi-dimensional when he approaches water conservation. So not only smart controllers and pressure regulated heads and things of that nature, but he even goes to the next level and looks at soil structure and soil science. I mean, nobody does that. So I admire Rich in in that he's the tip of the spear in a market that is, you know, it's, I guess you would say it's underdeveloped for conservation. And, uh, that's really what sets Rich apart. and, And it's, one of the reasons I admire him as a business person. Well, you know, all the good things here, all all the good things that you're talking about, Rich, and, you know, Rich, I can make a phone call to Governor DeSantis and say he needs a czar of water. And and, (laughs) and if he, if he gave you, if he gave you the title, what would be the top three things you would think has to be done in, in Florida to improve water that needs to happen? Well, I think we need to put teeth into the state licensing. So right now, the state licensing for an irrigation contractor is voluntary. So we need some teeth in, into that in, into that designation, so that it, it, it means it means something when when there's some teeth into it. Um, otherwise, it's kind of like we're just going to keep maintaining the status quo of of the mow and blow guys and the, and the four corner contractors. Well, what's right. what's behind the Florida Water Star designation, Rich? What does what does that mean? Sure. Well, the Florida Water Star that was that was championed by uh, Deidre Irwin over at the at the St. John's uh, River Water Management District, and and it, you know she's she's a real champion of, of water conservation. And what what that is is that's voluntary. However, 
with some um, with some rebates. So if a contractor builds a house and they they have a a Florida Water Star uh, uh, contractor like myself install the irrigation system and it meets all the criteria of the Florida Water Star uh, outline, then then the contractor gets a thousand bucks rebate. But yeah. again, it's it's a vol- it's voluntary. Um, I, I I I think there needs to be some more teeth into our licensing and, and into these practices uh, so that, you know, not, not to make more, gov- you know, government more busy uh, doing, doing, you know, o- overseeing everything. But uh, yeah, I think we need to be treated the same as electricians and plumbers who work inside the house and AC, you know, AC guys so that our license really means something. I agree with that. You know, we 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 hosted uh, a company, uh, Christie's, uh, who does uh, PVC cement. And what was really interesting to them, the gentleman came on twice to our show and did a uh, hour presentation on how you should apply and prep pipe before you put PVC pipe cement on. And it's, it's the same thing that the in the plumbing industry, they got to go through that and get certified for that. But I don't see anything for that in the irrigation. I think that's something that needs to happen because I've seen so many people not knowing what to do and preparing the pipe and, and doing everything else before they slap on the stuff all over and put it together and think it's going to stay. <laughs> so that's something I think that needs to happen. Anyway, but that's right. Hey, we're, we're, we have to get ready here to turn over to NBC News uh, uh, at the hour. And uh, But, Rich, we appreciate you coming on the show. We'd love to have you back and get into some deeper dives with you on some uh, things that are happening and maybe legislation and things that might affect water, water usage. If you're, you're a perfect person. And, and probably have Matt come on the show, too, as well, from a different point of view and do, do the same. So uh, sure. if that's something yeah. you guys would like to do. We'd, we'd, we'd certainly love it. Yeah, love to, love to, uh, you know, contribute. Great. All right, uh, Chris, you want to have any uh, last words before we sign off here? No, just gonna, you're going to shout out to Matt Taylor for uh, plugging on here and, uh, and calling into the show. It's uh, great to have you on the Waterstone, Matt, and uh, wish both of you gentlemen a great evening. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Y'all have a great one. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks, Rob. All right, people. Thank you. Uh, we enjoyed everybody on the show today, and one thing that Chris and I have to tell you before we leave is please help keep our help planet keep blue. Our planet blue. If you like green, you got to have blue first. So, good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good, safe week. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. Two adults are dead.